Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My very special guest today is Jack Stack. Jack is the founder and CEO of SRC Holdings. Jack has been called the smartest strategist in America by Inc. Magazine and one of the top 10 minds in small business by Fortune Magazine. He's also the pioneer of the model called Open Book Management. And he used this method of transparency in starting and running over 60 businesses, many small businesses just like many small giants. And these practices are taught globally through the great game of business organization. Jack has been involved in the Small Giants community since day one, over 10 years ago, and has been a personal mentor and a friend to me. Welcome, Jack. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for thanks for a huge introduction. <laughs> well, uh, you, uh, you deserve it. Um, you've made such an impact on so many people's lives, not just at SRC, but in business overall. And uh, so it's just comforting to hear your voice during times like this. We're smack in the middle of the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis in America. Obviously, we without doubt feel for our own families. I hope your family is doing well and safe. Uh, there's also this huge economic impact, so much of which is unknown. Um, so first, let me start with how you doing? How's, how's it going with the companies? How are you approaching all this? Well, it's um, we are we are we're we're crunching data like you wouldn't believe. Okay, we're 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 crunching as much as we possibly can to ultimately come up with what we think is the best case scenario. Our scenario right now is that we've broken down our challenges into three distinct levels. Levels one and two is the health and safety of our associates and health and safety of our community. That is paramount. And we're processing everything we possibly can from taking temperatures at home to being able to develop the process times that hopefully one day we might have a kit and we estimate that kind of a particular period of time. We have all kinds of protective measurements on uh, protecting people who have vulnerabilities. And we also are working very hard to make absolutely certain that we have pay for those associates uh, that fall in line with uh, maybe some type of an immediate uh, household uh, situation or that they are in fact quarantined up to this particular level. We have felt that our people have re responded remarkably from a self-responsibility to realize that right now that we all really got to do our best to make this place as safe as we possibly can. Level three is what happens when you're just doing business under these kind of environments and how do you handle things like travel restrictions and work schedules? And we are considered critical because we do supply, you know, uh, in, uh, components into transportation, agriculture. So we do have units that are working. And then level four is how do we make certain that we, if in face, in fact, we have a shutdown, how do we again handle regular pay, vacation pay? And at the same time, we have enough solvency in order to be able to uh, come back. So here's the best we can do right now. We, we really need to be limiting access. We know we need to be distancing ourselves. So we are trying to come up with a schedule, a workload schedule. And obviously, anyone working at home is working at home. But then what we're going to be doing is moving our factories into a limited number of working hours. We were shrinking the number of labor hours over the next 13 weeks. We think right now we're trying to schedule this thing out for a 13-week period of time. Um, we will probably, where we are meaningful, essential, uh, center maybe um, working uh, only three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that then gives us the opportunity to shut down the factoring and have four days where we can uh, make certain that the, it's bacteria-free, we can fog it, we can clean it. Um, we're going from like 100% to um, 
to 60% in terms of making absolutely certain that we have as limited exposure as we possibly can, stretch the capacity of the facility, uh, keep our vendors going, which is absolutely critical by working a minimum schedule, but also making certain that we're available for any kind of critical units, critical downs, and at the same time using our cash reserves and our debt to see if we cannot pay 100% to our employees, even though we may be working 24-hour work weeks to be able to pay them for 40. So that's our plan. We are, are finalizing it. Um, the only thing that we're worrying about is, you know, obviously, if there's exceptions to these rules, how do we handle it and be fair with everybody? But I will tell you that right now, with the processes that we have in line, our people are calm. Our people are calm, and that's what's the most important thing. We have a nine o'clock phone call first thing in the morning with everybody. We answer everybody's questions, any questions that we don't have answers to. We have a meeting at 1.30 to have those answers ready for the next nine o'clock meeting. That, that phone call, I can't tell you how critical it is to be able to make absolutely certain that everybody is singing off the same song sheet, everybody's moving in the right direction. And we're getting the right behavioral patterns in order to be able to make certain that we're safe, secure, and solvent. Mm. Sounds like you have a, a well-thought-out plan. I want to ask a couple questions related to that. One is who has been part of helping you develop this plan? And the whole philosophy that you have pioneered around business, around uh, open book management, which is really another word for transparency, how is that helping you here deliver this message to your employees? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's just absolutely amazing that because of this culture of transparency and this culture of trust, um, that you have people that truly understands vulnerabilities and respond with compassion, with help, with ideas. Um, we have communication systems here where um, our people are obviously owners of the business. Okay. Um, they want to have the truth. They want to have the, the worst case scenario. From the worst case scenario, that gives them the opportunity then to build backwards, to build plans to saying, we do not want to get to the worst case scenario. What can we do now? What is our area of responsibilities? How do we contribute? What ideas do we have? And this whole idea of teaching people how a business works and the reality of business, and that's what the great game was all about, okay, was to be able to tell people that businesses is hard, businesses are, are tough. You know, what we want is everybody's help, coordination, contributions, entrepreneurship, innovation. The only way that we felt we strongly could get them is to be able to teach business and teach it as frequently as we possibly can so people can get it in the best of times and the worst of times. The open book for us works the best in the worst of times, okay, because it does bring out the best in people. Because when you communicate, it's logical, it fits, they understand it. They also then know what they can do in order to be able to make a difference. When, you, when you're transparent and open book, your people are very self-reliable, okay? Um, they know budgets and they know uh, cost reductions and they know ways of being able to hold back expenses and protect liabilities. And it's just absolutely amazing how, because of the concepts that we have, the culture that we built, this business of business people, that they all react so quickly as business people for the for the outcome, the better outcome of each other inside the organization. You know, uh, no doubt that the way you have taught uh, business inside has uh, and created that trust within uh, you, I'm sure, are seeing incredible stories now of people stepping up uh, with information, taking the lead and creating solutions for you as you're going through this. I read an article that you wrote recently you talked about four steps companies could take to, number one, embrace this transparency, two, talk about their cash and their position honestly and openly, three, protect jobs, which is obviously what you're doing. You also made another point, which is to get ready for the upturn. Uh, that, that was optimistic to me, meaning it felt good to hear that. Uh, you've obviously been through uh, 
really tough uh, episodes in, in business and in life over these many years that you've led SRC. Um, what's that pattern that you continually see that should give us all a sense of encouragement going forward? Okay, this is our fifth recession. Okay, this is a, our fifth black swan. And a black swan is something that you can't put into your plan, regardless of how long your plan goes out. But when you do a plan, whether it's 90 days or whether it's a year or maybe in our case, 10 years, you always have to have room for something that you hadn't thought about. Okay, the, the most catastrophic event, the thing that you can't imagine even what it is, but you just have to have it as a black swan. Every plan that we've ever looked at, we said, if this if this doesn't work, what are we going to do? Because we're in a labor-intensive business, and if we make a mistake with our forecast, people's lives are at stake. And the central cause of why we got into business in the first place was to create jobs, is to create good jobs, jobs with dignity, jobs where you make a difference. And so, you know, we, 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 we've been ingrained it almost into every one of our people inside our organizations to be able to I, I'm, I, you know, Paul, I, um, I've just lost my train of thought. I apologize. I've had no, uh, no, just thinking about this black swan and how we prepare uh, or think okay, about that so with we, the unexpected. So in all our processing, we've, we've, we've prepared for that one particular day. Okay, and I'm not trying to say uh, – what I'm trying to be careful about is, is to say I told you so. We're not trying to say I told you so. It's something mm-hmm. that you really need to learn once you get out of this thing. Okay, there's always to have – something in reserve, always to have that what if, okay? And we've been very, very fortunate because for 10 years, we've been figuring that this black swan was going to hit around this particular point of time because most of our recessions have occurred in 10-year periods of time and we have other information, okay? So we're very, very fortunate to be able to have set aside a savings for the black swan. Now, what we really need to do is figure out how we can extend that savings along a period of time until that thing recovers, okay? We're all of a sudden, there's a down, an upturn, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you where our thought process is right now. And please, this is just our thought process. I would encourage anyone listening this to have their own thought process. Okay, we think the worst of times right now is between eight and thirteen weeks. Okay, uh, again, this is all processing data that you wake up in the morning and you hear from the pundits. It's data that you hear from the politicians. It's history that you have. It's a saturation of data where all of a sudden you just have to make a decision, okay? So in order for us to be working limited work schedules, to be able to maintain a workforce of this size, okay, in order to get out 13 weeks, we're going to take a $10 billion hit, okay? Now, we're very, very blessed to be able to have that kind of reserve. If we, if we can do exactly what we're doing right now, okay, and we can hold on for 13 weeks, all right, we definitely feel at this particular point in time there's an upturn, okay? So it really behooves us to do the following. Make absolutely certain we're healthy, okay? Um, we don't. We want everybody, obviously, to test themselves at home, but as soon as we can get tests, we can feel more secure. We only want to work the factories three days, and so four days can be sent from wiping out any kind of bacteria that exists inside the organization. Three days, we hope the suppliers could stay in line because they need money. Customers need critical components, okay? Um, we're trying to address the idea of um, distancing ourselves, okay? Staying home, working at things. And then at the same time, paying people who are only going to be here 24 hours, a 40-hour pay. So when that upturn comes around August, which is what we're forecasting, okay? And we do this by also listening to how long a lead time is it going to be before the 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 curve flattens, um, how long did it take in terms of where it broke out in China? And you know, you you crunch as much of this information you can so you can set a standard. And it may not be the right standard, but we now have a standard plan. We're now going to be handled deviations to that standard plan, okay? But we have a sense of calmness and comfort in our people that at least we have a plan. Now that all started from a catastrophic plan that, that we could be shut down forever. And what we did is saying, okay, in order not to be shut down forever, how can we figure out how to stretch this out? Because we got to get ready for the upturn. And there's going to be an upturn and there's always an upturn. So you've just got to be focusing on what's happening right now 
and then you got to be focusing and being honest with yourself is how do you come back? Yeah, that's right. Now, uh, SRC for people that are not familiar, uh, you know, it's um, it's a business or a, a combination of many businesses, uh, 1800 employees, a big part of the business is remanufacturing of auto parts. So there's manufacturing, etc. Uh, you're an ESOP organization. So everybody is an owner in the organization. Obviously, you have tremendous uh, financial acuity, not only with you, but everyone in the organization because of the way that you've taught them. Uh, and so as as probably more of a, uh, at least a larger company than most of what we would term small giants uh, type companies, um, how do some of these concepts work? And I'm sure they're really much the same in some of these very small companies. Uh, I, I know even you have family members who have, are part of our own very small businesses. Uh, I just had to uh, close a restaurant in Southern California last week, and we had to lay off uh, 20 people uh, because there's a lockdown. There's no choice. We run on, uh, you know, about mm-hmm. a week's worth of cash, uh, like all these other um, industries. And so there's so many industries that are impacted even more acutely, um, and maybe not don't have that that can't even put together that 18 to, or eight to 13 week plan. Right. So what what do you what what are your uh, what are your right. thoughts about those so, companies? I think that's a great question, and I believe me, I'm very close to that because I have three daughters, and they have three businesses, small businesses. One of them is is a um, a, a ladies' store for accessories and clothes, and one is a toy store, and one's an education store. All having um, associates in the in the anywhere between seven and and ten people. So I, we meet with them and we sit down and we say, okay, let's go through the liabilities. All right, let's take your liabilities or your balance sheet. And I want to know all your notes, okay? I want to know all your credit cards. I want a detailed explanation of what your cash flow is going to be in terms of who do you have to pay. Then what I want you to do is I want you to call your lenders. I want you to call your mortgages. I want you to call your credit card companies. And I want you to tell them that you're not going to be able to pay them for this particular point of time. If you want to use 90 days, if you want to use 11 weeks, if you want to use 13 weeks, I would tell them that right now, okay, you are not going to be able to pay them. How can we work this out now? I would take a positive approach to push as many of those those receivables out as I possibly can, okay? I would then, okay take an inventory of just how much I have right now, how much I have an inventory, all right, how much I'm able to, to what I think can utilize by figuring out alternative ways of delivering goods to a marketplace. Um, my close friend has a restaurant here. He's telling me that he's got his, um, he's got, he wants to keep his employees working. He wants me to order as many meals as I possibly can. I said, how many meals, how many meals can you supply? You know, we got 1,800 people because I'll supply as many meals as you need, okay? Uh, my daughters are coming out with using, you know, the social media and putting on uh, commercials, getting ready for Easter, trying to sell inventories in their toy stores, okay? Uh, they're tapping ideas in terms of uh, coming up with really, truly creative ways in terms of being able to generate revenue. And you you can't give up the fact that you've got to be able to figure out how to best utilize your associates and listen to their ideas to create revenue-producing products. That's always been a byproduct of the great game of business, okay, is to teach for-profits, not-for-profits, how to come up with ideas, how to come up with entrepreneurship, innovation. I really believe that you really get innovative in entrepreneurship when you have nothing, okay? And we're seeing all these little companies, these little stores, okay, figuring out ways of how to handle marginal revenues that come into their organization. Okay, and only it's only marginal to a specific point, right? You can only deliver so many meals. You can only sell so many toys from online. You can only do so many things through social media. But there is revenue there. Let's say it's down to 30% of what you had. The second step in is you got to really pay attention in terms of what the state programs are going to be and the federal programs will be. And they're really disappointing that they haven't been able to tell us exactly what's going to occur. But you got to get people ready. You got to start doing scenarios. If, in fact, everyone is going to get $1,000, if, in fact, they're going to get $2,000. 
And then how do I parson that out? Maybe I can't give out 100%. Maybe I can give out 80%, 70%. The quicker we can get a plan into people's hands over a long period of time, the calmer the people are going to be, the more they're going to appreciate the fact that we are working for them. And I'll tell you, this is a true statement. When somebody is vulnerable, it's absolutely amazing how a community, how an organization comes together to help those that are vulnerable. Too mm-hmm. often we worry about the 5% of the people that are going to sit there and worry about what what we could have done better or what we did wrong. And But the 95% of the people, by working together collaboratively towards a specific critical number, will, to, in my light, I've always seen them make it. Yeah, uh, that's such a great point. And uh, we're already seeing that in um, our own communities, um, how people are coming together. And I, for one, um, although I love to listen to politics and might be opinionated and all that, I just take away all that noise and focus on on what is and what is in terms of people's health, what is in terms of uh, help that the government might provide and just deal with those facts. Uh, we have time for all that, you know, opinion and prognostication um, and all of that stuff later. But uh, if you look at what's happening around you, the way people are helping each other out on a daily basis, uh, like you said, with your friend in the restaurant business or uh, our place in California is a wine bar. And so we're going to go deliver wine um, yeah, right. and, uh, and help people get through this and find a way while being safe to um, keep that community together. And there's going to just be tremendous stories of resilience um, that are going to come out of all this. Right. I, my daughter did an Instagram. Okay, it was a beautiful Instagram, and she went on there and she explained to everybody that she was closing her store, uh, but she's going to do this, and she's going to have this available. And if you need any help, okay, she's going to be more than happy to bend over backwards to live within the guidelines of society and safety. And she was overwhelmed with customers. Yeah. Um, I went out, one person a day goes out and gets a lunch here, okay? And I went and stayed in, we have a Mexican restaurant, everybody wanted tacos, so I I went out and got all the tacos, all right? And the line was so unbelievably long, you know? (laughs) And this is a restaurant, that this is a Mexican restaurant I go to, and I've gone in there, and I haven't seen six or seven people in that restaurant (laughs) some, some afternoons. And I'm counting 12 cars deep, okay? Yeah. I'm thinking, holy Christmas, this guy's getting more volume now than he has in the past, okay? Yeah. you got to be you got to be entrepreneurial now. And the young people, the young, the small giants, I mean, they're, this is how they all started. That's all, right. Most of them started with nothing, okay? Now you've got to just absolutely have confidence in the fact that you, you, you've been trained to create revenue, have your people help you come up with revenue producing ideas. And, you know, you may not hit 100%. You may hit 30. You may hit 40. And then maybe we do get some relief. Paul, you know, what's scary about our company is we are, by having more than 500 people, we're not going to be available <laughs> for all that kind of uh, opportunities if, in fact, they've sent it into Congress. So we act as if we're getting nothing. All right. 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 Yeah, like you said, every every little bit is going to help um, from whatever its source comes from. I think that's a really important point. And speaking of of people that um, act like small giants, and you've been involved in the movement since the beginning because you you do that, you live that way, you've grown your business, but you started with nothing too. Um, tell tell me a little bit if I can just take you back for a moment away from all the stuff going on today to, to, um, how, how this all started for you in business and kind of the moment where you realize that the way we communicate and teach our own team members is really the secret to success of any size business. Well, I was, I was, I was growing, I grew up in Chicago and I worked for a fortune 500 company. And I was transferred down to Springfield, Missouri. I didn't even know there was a Missouri, let alone Springfield. But I got I went to work down here, and uh, I was the factory was in a lot of trouble down here, and I was either asked to close it or I was asked to turn it around. And when I came down here, I you know people in Missouri come off farms, okay? They're entrepreneurs by trade, okay? And 
geez, I just fell in love with the people. And so as a matter of really, you know, getting them the tools to do the job, they did a job. And all of a sudden we hit 1983, which was a horrible period of time where interest rates were 22 percent and unemployment was 12 percent. And we were in a recession. We were really in a bad recession. And so um, we were a non-essential asset. Okay, that's about all I can tell you. And when you're a non-essential asset in this company, that means you're going to be closed. And so we asked the company to sell us the business. We didn't have any money to buy the business, but we just did not have the courage to lay anybody off. We didn't want to, you know, you know, we didn't want to close the factory. We didn't want to be responsible at a really early age that there wasn't anything we could do. So out of desperation, we asked them to sell the company. We worked for big companies in our life. We had no money, okay? We had no money to offer to buy this company, okay? And so what happened is we waited several years, almost two years, while they tried to de uh, determine what our fate was going to be. They tried to sell us a couple times, and that fell through. And then one day they called us up and said, if you can raise $9 million in four weeks, we'll uh, we'll sell you the factory, all right? And <laughs> we raised 100000 from the employees, okay? So uh, Hmm. We then we then went out to try to borrow money, and in the process of trying to borrow money, um, our business plan was a specification of an engine because that's all we knew how to do is we knew how to build engines, we knew how to build stuff. Okay, we didn't, we were never trained in run, running a, building a company. I could build tractors, I could build engines, but so I went out there and I said, look, I would like to borrow nine million bucks from you guys, and we're going to save the X amount of jobs, and uh, we know how to build engines, and they could care less okay they started asking me about liquidity questions and debt to equity ratios and i was lost i was lost i was you know i was a superintendent in chicago with 500 people three shift operations probably moving a half a billion dollars worth of products a year and not once did they ever talk to me about price cost uh, balance sheets inventories and now i go out to borrow capital and I realized there's a whole new set of specifications out there. It's not a specification to build a product or a service. It's a specification to build a company. And I was so frustrated by getting turned down on a loan that I just couldn't understand why do we have two specifications? Why do we have the specification of a product and service? And that's all we ask of our people to do is do your job, nothing more than nothing less. And if people all do their job, something's going to come out. And then the the people that have the money are sitting there saying, oh, well, we got these other measurements, you know, and we're measuring, you know, balance and income and how well you're using cash. And I thought, holy Christmas, I'm for manufacturing. If you want to increase productivity of manufacturing, you take the constraints out of the process. So what I was learning trying to borrow this loan, I was trying to teach the people that the whole world is out there looking at a business from a totally different perspective than we are. And what we need to do is we need to look at how they're measuring a sustainable, successful company. We need to understand margins and turnovers, and we need to be able to know what deals we're getting into. And we know we need to be understanding how to uh, leverage debt. And so we decided that if God would give us this business, okay, um, we promised we would open up our books. We would teach everybody the specifications of running an outrageously successful company. And then what we would do is, you know, we came to the conclusion we we probably get a better engine. We probably get a better tractor if we if they were thinking about creating a great company. Okay, because if you're asking them to build a tractor, they'll give you a tractor. But if you ask them to give you a company, they will give you a company. Okay. So we taught them, we want them to become we want them to be able to have a budget, know what a budget was, build a forecast, live to the forecast, set a standard, be responsible for meeting that standard, you know, and 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 knowing where you make a difference in terms of building the company. I mean, people began to realize why you have engineering, you know, and how it supports sales by seeing how it laid out on the income statement. And so, you know, people found it to be fascinating, and then we use all kinds of devices to accelerate the learning process because most people don't think they can understand income statements and balance sheets and cash flow statements. But when they do, it not only changed their life at work, they changed their life in their houses and their homes. And 
you know, entering uh, reasons to put into 401ks and understanding matches. And, you know, it stabilized, you know, not only what was happening in terms of our work environment, but in terms of what they were bringing back to home. And then eventually they brought it back to the community. So as the by divine intervention, we got the loan. We never should have got the loan. It was in a <laughs> transition of a big bank and they were firing people all over. And we borrowed nine million dollars with a hundred thousand dollars down. The first, our first financial statement was a debt to equity, saying we owe eighteen percent interest, and we got to figure out how to, how to be able to to build this company. And so for thirty seven years, our people have been focusing on how to develop an extraordinary amount of wealth, and distribute it back as equitably as we possibly can inside of the company, uh, through the whole concepts of open book and employee ownership. So, Jack, talk a little practically about how that works. You have put this model into what is called the great game of business that's taught globally. You've written several books about it. You have uh, a team of consultants that go out into the business world and help train other companies in how yeah. to do this. What are some of the, the actual practices that happen within a company to foster this kind of environment? Well, what happens was is that you start out with a simple financial formula, and once people start asking you questions, you got them. Okay, you know if you're if you're sitting there and you say, "Look, we got a critical number like debt to equity." What we opened up with in our first day, our first day of business, we had eighty nine dollars worth of debt to one dollar in the bank. Okay, and so we we people would want to know is, well, how do I affect that eighty nine bucks, and how do I affect this dollar? Okay. So what we were capable of doing is that from the questions that people asked, we started to break this thing down. Okay, We, we showed them the uh, fact that if, in fact, they were able to move down inventories, for instance, we could take that inventory, we could pay down that debt, and then we would not have to pay 18% interest expense. And we could give a portion of that to a pool to incentivize them into learning to realize, okay, that we're in this to be able to pay good wages but if in fact you do better than market, you're you're gonna we're gonna be able to give you a bonus program, and on top of a bonus program, if in fact we were able to scale this business and afford it, we then can give you an equity piece in terms of the company, and if anything by God were hap- we're gonna happen to the company, um, we will still have good wages and we will still have good jobs. Okay, and so we really we really did it. Um, you know, I did it really fast in the very beginning, and everybody said, I can't understand these statements. I used to think when I was trying to teach them income statements that people didn't want to learn. I didn't realize they were afraid to learn. I didn't realize that our society for a long period of time sent these things out as confidential. You can't see them. They're secret. You know, you're not going to understand them anyways. And so what we did is that's how the open book came up. We just started opening up our, our books to our people. We would have huddles. We would have them fill out manually income statements based on what people said they were going to do, given each line of the income statement. We would then give everybody a copy of a staff meeting. Our staff meeting was a, like a quarterly report on a publicly held market. Our staff meeting was done in, a, in about 30 minutes where we filled out an income statement, and then we covered anything of material significance. Everybody went out there. They knew what we were going to do for a given month. They knew what we had to do in order to be able to meet the covenants relative to the loans. And we began to then give them more information when they said things like, geez, I'd like to loan a little bit more more overhead. So we began to expand in terms of the information they have. And now, I mean, you can go almost anywhere in this company and see where we stand, where the cash is at, where the income is at, what the forecasts are at what the future looks like, what the capital plans look like, what new businesses are involved in. And, you know, it's 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 a pretty fascinating place in terms of the information that's now available to everybody. Hmm. Uh, Jack, I remember when I first came to uh, visit one of your plants. And uh, as you know, I obviously I'm a big believer in culture and employee engagement and all the methods of leadership that foster that kind of environment that shows that we care about our employees. And I remember first walking through the halls of uh, SRC 
and saw charts and graphs and numbers in the break room and and thought, wow, um, there aren't enough pictures of people, you know, uh, of things that that even more personalize that experience. And and we're not as we think about the role of finance and companies, um, part of being a small giant is is looking certainly to financial transparency, as you've talked about it, but also all the other things that go into building a great culture. So what's your thought? It seems to me that these all work hand in hand. You don't have to choose one or the other. Is that fair? Well, that's interesting. Let me see if I can give you some kind of a, I don't know if it's a metaphor or whatever, but anyways, when, um, when we had the company, the first day of the company, okay, and the banks found out that we got a loan we probably shouldn't have had, okay? I mean, they really started to put some very strict restrictions on us. And probably the toughest restriction on was that we had to make our forecasts because if we didn't make our forecasts, we were out of control. And they needed to have a certain amount of, of sincerity. So I just took an income statement, a blank income statement, I put it up on a board, and I went around the room and I said, Bob, you're in charge of sales. Let's sail. I said... Beverly, you run accounting. You understand cost of goods. What is the cost of goods relative to the sales? I then went to purchasing. Who is Irene? I went to Joe Lober, who is in production. And as I got down through this process, I began to realize that these numbers are nothing more than stories about the people inside of the organizations. That this is the first time that all of a sudden Irene and Joe understand each other because they're coming together in order to be able to make this income statement in order to have the resources in order to build a future for not only themselves but their constituents inside of the company okay so i never looked at numbers as something from a financial perspective okay i'm not an accountant all right i looked at the the financials as a way of bringing us together as people uh, being able to throw a fist up in the air when we're helping each other if i if I were to do really well in terms of quality, or I did really well in terms of safety, or I really did well in terms of sales, you know, I knew that I was contributing to a, to a, an entity, to a group, to a society, to a community, and uh, so I never really looked at them as being, you know, just one. I looked at numbers as a, the stories of people. All right, mm-hmm. if I could go back to when they invented an income statement, which was in the 1400s. I probably would have asked those Venetian monks to give me a separate line and let me put a person's name in there, okay? I mean, because when I got done with that first income statement, that first open book, I realized that everybody has a line. Everybody owns a line on that income statement. Everybody owns a line on that balance sheet. Some people may own two or three lines on that thing, okay? But it is a small sense of ownership. It's a small sense of contribution, okay? It's a small sense of knowing that you made a difference. It wasn't let some power of, of because they have a title take away from you that which you were able to contribute to the society as a whole, okay? So I never now I never itemized it any differently because, again, I, I, my whole idea was just to create a job for a person, for a community, because when we started our company in 1983, there were no jobs around here. And so by teaching people how to make right decisions to build businesses, we were able to have people to start businesses, but also have a reasonable chance to succeed at starting business because they understood the fundamentals by which you had to operate in order to be able to succeed. So I was trying to plant seeds in the hopes that we could build more business, more opportunities, so the 60,000 kids in our community here have a place to go when they graduate from the universities and the high schools and things of this nature. So we're just playing at a, at a different level. Man, that's just incredible the way you you state that. I think back to my days running Barrel Health and, as you know, it was a call center business. And, and I remember coming back after visiting with you years ago and just realizing that I had missed the boat by thinking that the folks that were in our call center, for example, didn't want to understand the the financials or couldn't really impact the financials. And boy, was I wrong. And when we broke it uh, down... It, it, don't be hard on yourself. You created a great company, okay? I mean, well... Get, 
Come on, let's give you a round of applause for Cody. <laughs> okay. Well, I know, but 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 part but that's because I listened to people like you, and we learned along the way, and we changed and we adapted, and I realized that uh, you know we're not the same kind of company. We weren't. Uh, didn't have a manufacturing facility. Uh, our margins were different. But the philosophy is exactly the same. And sharing parts of the income statement or balance sheet with our employees, teaching them what it meant and realizing that the silos that we create in our businesses are generally due just to a lack of understanding. Everybody's heart is in the right place. Everybody's trying to do good work. But we don't understand what the other group is really doing. And so therefore, we don't appreciate it. And then we start to resent it. And if we all can have a common framework from which to understand each other and then use our natural tendencies to want to help each other, what better common ground than, than the foundations of a business, which are those financials? And like you said, everyone owns a line, at least. Yeah, I, they own the number. I know it sounds cruel, okay? But purchasing owns the line, okay? Yeah. It's their own individual business. When they do really well with that line, hundreds of people benefit from that. I mean, it's like you're giving these people the opportunity to really feel and act like an owner, okay? Mm-hmm. And But you're giving them the authority to do it. You're allowing them to set their standards, okay? And when they fail, it's a they fail against their own standard. They don't fail against a standard that's put up by a CEO or an HR department or a, an accounting department, okay? I mean, we just, you know, we our, our people are so incredible just that they've made their forecast so consistently for 37 years. Can you imagine being within about 3% of your annual forecast? Mm-hmm. All right, how stabilizing that is to somebody out on that job floor? I mean, to make it feel very comfortable in terms of knowing that you're going to have a job, you know, taking all those fears out. Well, I think what's so important about what you've done, Jack, is uh, is to be able to share your message with the business world, because you can certainly look at what you've accomplished with SRC and continue to accomplish. And no doubt your plan that is developed by your people will get you through this tough time. But every time that you write, speak, share your message like you're doing today with other businesses, these are lessons that they can learn. And that's the true impact I think that that you're having um, on, on the world today. So we're running a little bit short on time. I just want you to um, to maybe share some final thoughts on what you would advise entrepreneurs right now who who are scared, who are worried uh, to create that sense of purpose and and calm as much as we can to get through and prepare for what will undoubtedly be an upturn at some point. Well, you got to talk, okay? You, the old school is keep everything inside of you. You're supposed to have all the answers. You know, don't share anything right now until you can figure out what's going on. You cannot figure out what's going on right now by yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't, okay? All that you can do is throw everything on a table, and you can start putting things back together again, okay? I mean, you can be asking people, okay, what ideas they, they have, what opportunities they have. You know, don't be afraid of people getting bad news, okay? I mean, because people tell you respond so quickly when they believe in the truth, okay? And they believe that you need help and that you believe that you're vulnerable, all right? There's so many great people in your organization that now is the opportunity to be able to tap them in order to be able to build something again, to be able to come back again. You know, we, we've seen people, you know, share workloads, share services inside your organization, we have a business right now that's going to be short people, but we have someone that needs the people inside of the organizations, okay? Uh, we have communities, okay, that need a- absolute help, and we can put people out in terms of helping them build something, create something, generate a revenue-producing idea. I mean, this is what the, the brighter side of, of capitalism is in terms of being able to get people out of these tough kind of situations with the opportunity to be able to apply the skill sets. Now, the problem is that traditionally, we don't we, we write we write 
like job descriptions that says you've got to stay in this particular circle. It's crazy. You know, you got to give you got to give people the opportunity to build, to construct, to be able to understand what it takes to succeed. And there's no better time to do it now. And they will and they will you will be blown away with the ideas that they're gonna come up with. We need to be an idea generating organization. We need to pre- shorten our liabilities. We need to protect our assets, spread our assets over a long period of time. Okay, we may be having to cut payrolls by 25%, 50%. We got to know how far we can go, but we've also got to realize we got to come back. We got to be solvent when we come back. We got to save a little bit to come back. We've got to make absolutely certain that we keep things up orderly, neat, and be able to run when it comes. I do believe this. We will go through a tough time through August. There'll be a spike. And then the fourth quarter, it's going to be big and it's going to be wild and it's going to be crazy. And our most important asset is our people. And those that can figure out how to be able to take care of their people will dominate those particular points of time in the future. So, yeah, do what you can to prepare for this downturn. But I'm telling you, don't forget the upturn. There's going to be an upturn. And talk about it. Talk about it with your group. Great, great advice. Um, Jack, it's just so wonderful to hear your wisdom. Um, I want to just reflect on a few of the things that I learned while, while talking to you today. Uh, and, and first, for for all of us that are going through this, is um, as you talked about what you've done with SRC, which was develop a plan, uh, get your people involved, develop a plan, create whatever that timeline is, try to pay your people as much as you can, communicate with them every day. You have your nine o'clock meeting, a nine o'clock call, you ask, you enable people to ask questions, you prepare answers through your meeting later in the afternoon. So the next day, they're always there. You create calm by communicating. And that, um, that culture of transparency creates good communication ideas, and and to know that uh, you know you've been around a while, I've been around a while, been through uh, tough times, uh, tough times in business, and and we all you know we come out of them. It's a question of how how we do it, and it's not just for bigger companies like SRC. You talked about your three daughters and their businesses, and the steps that you've helped them with. Uh, and that'll help me to understand that in our small business, we need to stop, pull out those financials, look at them in a very detailed way, call our our landlords and our vendors and, and be honest and positive with them, but tell them that we can't pay them right now, create the best deals that we can, understand our inventory, what we have, what we need, create alternative ways to get revenue, even if it might be a, just a, a small percentage of that revenue. Um, and see what people will do, see how the government responds, um, incorporate that government response whenever it arrives in whatever way it comes into your plan and just be amazed at how the, the community will come together. And I think all of this, all of the wisdom that you're sharing right now obviously came from your own personal stories and all of us have the same personal stories in this, as entrepreneurs in that we started with nothing. We used our sense of hard work and resiliency, creativity to come up with a solution. Um, you realized early on as you tried to raise money, you didn't really understand the language of finance. You knew how to make engines. Um, you wanted to, to try to focus on running a, a sustainable business versus building a tractor and the banks weren't really understanding that but you finally got that loan that got you going and your commitment was we're going to use this platform of business to educate our own people and to start with a simple financial formula to educate them to communicate with them to allow them to own uh, lines in the income statement Um, You said a great thing, numbers are nothing more than stories of people inside the organization. And it allows us to attach ourselves to to a part of that. Um, Giving people the authority to act like an owner. It's just something we can all learn from, especially today. And finally is the advice that you're giving to all of us, which is wonderful. And I think nothing more important than their first point, which is you got to talk. You got to talk to people. You can't do it by yourself. If you need to do it remotely, do it remotely. Uh, we had for our little restaurant staff, 
um, a Zoom call last Friday, which was a virtual happy hour. We said, bring along a glass of wine or a drink. And, and we, didn't, we didn't have to do much more except say, how you doing? And just, yeah. just listen to everybody. Um, right. So I think your, you know, your point about not being afraid to share bad news, people love honesty. You know, if we had to, my partner, Chris, has not been through some of these things before. And so having to tell someone that they were laid off, he, as, as I remember, you know, creates t- tons of anxiety. But the moment he oh. had that conversation... He came back and he said, wow, that wasn't so bad. Well, why wasn't it so bad? Because that person on the other side had compassion and understanding and trust. And we're all in this together. So uh, it's all about just good communication, giving everybody the ability to contribute and finally to prepare to come back because it will happen. It's a matter of time and it's going to offer opportunities and we're all going to run our businesses better as a result of this. And so just tremendous, Jack, I, 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 you know, I could go on and on with, um, the, the great things you're, you're sharing with us and, uh, we can continue to learn from you going forward. Well, you've been an inspiration in our lives, Paul, and, and what you, and all the small giants have been a big inspiration. We've learned from each other. We went from opening up our books to opening up our doors to opening up you know, our experiences, and we've been collaborating together for years, and that has really been a significant benefit for us as well. I can't tell you how much, you know, going to the meetings, talking to the small giants, having those kind of relationships, you know that there's a better society out there. That's right. Well, ultimately, we're just opening up our hearts, Jack. Thank you for opening up your your heart and your mind to us today. Um, We'll share this far and wide for people to help them get through uh, this time. So thank you so much for doing this. Good luck, everybody, and you're on our prayers. Yes, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.